Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So Genesis chapter 32, and beginning with verse 1, it says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp, and he called the name of the place Manahem. Uh, I th- don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, this is the second time, by the way, that uh, Jacob has seen the angels of God. If you recall a few chapters earlier, it was in a dream where he saw the angels ascending and descending on a stairway going up to heaven. But now he's wide awake. He's coming back into Canaan, and now these angels, they meet him on the way there. Uh, there's an interesting story in, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a story of the prophet Elisha, and I don't know if you've ever read it before, but Elisha and his servant, they're in the town of Dothan, and there's a king of Syria that's, he's like, man, everything I do, there's like there's a spy in the camp. What's going on? And they said, well, there's a prophet in Israel that basically, everything you do, he's prophesying, he's saying it. So he's got, find the guy, bring him here. So he sends his Syrian army to go capture Elisha, and Elisha and his servant are in the city of Dothan. And uh, they're there to capture Elisha, and Elisha's servant freaks. I mean, they're in the city, and there's a Syrian army, a whole army has surrounded the city. And it says there in 2 Kings 6 that the servant said to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Um, And uh, Elisha, man, he's just calm and cool, and he said, Hey, he said, uh, Do not fear, for those uh, with us are more, more than those who are with them. I can just imagine Elisha's probably looking around like, what do you mean? It's just like you and me, you know? (laughs) What do you mean there's more with us than are with them? Well, Elisha at that point prayed that the eyes of the servant would be opened to see what basically Elisha saw. And the uh, Lord did open the eyes of the servant. And around, you know, there was a Syrian army around the city, but around them was a mountain full of uh, horses and chariots of fire. They're all around. And so... um, what are angels? The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, that they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you here? Are you one here who's going to inherit salvation? In other words, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If so, then you have angels around you as well. So the angels of God... They meet Jacob at this place, and he calls the place Mahaniam. And that basically means two camps. What, what does he mean by two camps? Why did he name that? Well, he's got his camp, right? What he sees in the physical realm, all his animals, his, his wives, his, daughter, or his kids, and all his servants, and, and it's Jacob's camp. That's what he sees in the physical. But there's also a camp, the spiritual camp that's around him, the angels of God all around him. Why is that significant for us? Because Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. The next verse says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You know, what are you facing this morning? 
Are you facing, you know, are you feeling like you're just surrounded by the enemy or you're just overwhelmed with whatever's going on in your life? I want to tell you right now, God has sent his, his angels are all around us ministering to us. We don't even see it. And so if you're here this morning, I just want to say a quick prayer as before we go back into the rest of the study and just pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see the angelic realm, just to see that with the eyes of faith that, man, God's for us. He's not against us, and there's angels around us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for anybody here who maybe is just struggling in the situation that they're in. Lord, that they might, uh, that, Lord, that you would open their eyes. Lord, that you would open all our eyes to see with the eyes of faith, Lord, to understand that, Lord, it's not just us here. Lord, that uh, uh, when you are with us, Lord, and, and with you, with your presence and with your angels around us, Lord God, that there's nothing that can come against us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen our eyes of faith this morning. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question I maybe ask, maybe you ask, is why did the angels of God meet Jacob on the way? It seems kind of like, just like, it's in the story, it's like, why is it there? Well, I think the reason why, first of all, is to remind Jacob that the Lord had protected him. Because in the chapter before, Laban, his uncle, who was a swindler, uh, you know, he was angry with Jacob, and uh, he really wanted to harm Jacob. He thought he was, it was in his power to harm Jacob, and God came to Laban in a dream and says, don't you touch that guy. And so uh, I think it was to remind him, hey, J- uh, Jacob, man, I'm here, I'm protecting you. So it was to remind him, but I think it was also to prepare him to trust the Lord for what was going to happen next, so we're going to look in the rest of this chapter. So Jacob here is traveling from the north, he's in Padanaram, he's going down into Canaan, and he's going to be traveling, he may not be actually going through the land where Esau, his brother, lives, his twin brother, but he's going to be close enough. Now Esau had married two wives about 56 years earlier. So he he had the family, children, extended family. And then later on, he'd married another wife 20 years after that. And so um, he's probably got uh, undoubtedly lots of family, lots of cousins and sisters and aunts and, you know, lots of family all around him, lots of acquaintances. And Jacob here has got his large family. He's got, he's very wealthy. He's got lots of flocks and and livestock and he's traveling through the area. And so, you know, Jacob's like, you know, word's going to spread and sooner or later, word's going to get back to Esau. Now, the last time Jacob had seen Esau, Esau had swore to kill Jacob. And so Jacob's, you know, he's afraid, but he knows sooner or later he has to face up to his past. And so verse 3 of chapter 32, it says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. If you recall, Jacob had shrewdly, shrewdly traded Esau for his birthright. Remember, Esau came in, he was all, he was famished, and and Jacob was there cooking some real, I mean, it smelled good, and and Esau walks in there and says, man, give me some of that food you're cooking, and Esau, or Jacob said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. I'll give you this this food if you give me the birthright, and at that point, Esau's like, I could care less about the birthright. You can have it. I'm hungry. I'm dying, you know, so he ate, and so he had shrewdly taken away or traded the birthright. Then later on, and this is the reason why Esau wanted to kill Jacob, later on, 
uh, Jacob had stolen the blessing of the birthright from Esau. Remember, he deceived his father Isaac to thinking that Isaac was blessing Esau when it was actually Jacob all along. And so um, Jacob, he is very shrewd. And if you look at the, what, he, what he tells the servants here, he doesn't want Esau thinking that he's now coming to claim the blessing. Jacob starts acting like Jacob again. Uh, he's going to manipulate the circumstances the best he can, because that's basically his character. And so he tells the servants, hey, tell Esau, your servant Jacob is coming. In other words, I'm not coming to claim the title of the firstborn. And then he says, tell him that I've got oxen and donkeys, flocks and male and female servants. In other words, I'm not coming to claim the double portion of that inheritance. So he's really trying to tamp down so that Esau thinks, well, he's not coming back to claim everything that that he stole, basically, through those blessings. So it says in verse 6, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. Now, you know, I've got this, I don't know, I've got this, I don't know if it's a sense of humor or just the way I picture things. And I can picture maybe God, you know, just purposely giving Esau or giving Jacob somebody who talks really slow. I don't talk very slow. I talk kind of fast. But some people, they, they're kind of halting in their conversation. You know, they say things. And so I can just imagine this, this one person, God's raised him up to, to, for this particular person, for this time, to say, Jacob, we came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you. And I, and I can imagine, you know, Jacob's a fast thinker, and for a fraction of a second, he's thinking, all right, you know, He's, 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 he's probably looking forward, man, I see the outcome, and my brother, he's going to be so happy to see me. But then the servant finishes the sentence, and he says, uh, you know, so, okay, so here's, here's what Jacob in his mind's thinking, you know, woohoo, we're going to be, it's happy days are here again, you know. And then those last words of that sentence roll off the tongue of the messenger, and 400 men are with him. And you can imagine Jacob's like, uh-oh, rut row, what do we do now? <laughs> The verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to, one, to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So he's going to try to minimize his, loss, his losses. Now, you know, I got to admit, you know, when I read about Jacob, I think Jacob's a lot like me. Because... First of all, Jacob reacts first, right? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then he's like, well, you know, I'm going to pray. You know, it should always be the other way around, right? We should pray first and react later, but at least he prays. Verse 9, then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I think I just lost my signal here. Hang on a second. So 
So here, Jacob has just said this prayer. And there's some really important principles that we see in this prayer. First of all, if you look at verse 9, he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. What's the first principle here? The first principle here is obedience. You see, Jacob could have just stayed up in Padanaram, and, and none of this would have happened. But Jacob is in obedience to the Lord God. He's in the center of God's will. And for whatever reason, God's allowed this particular circumstance at this particular time in Jacob's life. You know, we need that same, we need that same perspective when trials come for us, too. Now, sometimes trials come because we're in disobedience to the Lord, right? Some things happen. If we're a child of the Lord and, and, and maybe we're in disobedience to the Lord, a trial, sometimes it's God chastening us. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's allowing us to go through something because he's trying to, to rid us of some character. He's trying to transform our lives. And the Bible says that he chastises those whom he loves. So maybe if we're in disobedience and a trial comes, maybe he's chastening us. But Jacob's not in disobedience to the Lord. He's obeying the Lord. And so, and yet here is a trial. Why? Well, because there's a purpose in that as well. Maybe the Lord is just stretching and growing Jacob's faith. And that's how the Lord sometimes allows you and I to go through trials, because he wants to stretch us. He wants us to, to come completely rely on him. Uh, he wants to show himself powerful in our life. And, you know, sometimes we think it's all about us, and maybe it's not even totally about us. Maybe God's using us because there's someone watching us. And God wants someone else to see how we handle the storms of life or how we handle trials because the Lord's trying to reach to them. And so there's a purpose behind going through trials. And so Jacob here is in obedience to the Lord, and yet he's still going through a trial. What's the next principle? We see it in verse 10. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Now, I don't think that's the staff that he came over with. That's, that's not the staff. I'm, Donald Trump, maybe, he would have had a staff coming over, but it wouldn't have been that. No, that's more like the staff, right? He, that, he just had his cane. He just had his walking stick. And Jacob says, you know, I, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truths you have shown your servant. I mean, I came over with nothing, and Lord, you've blessed me. So what's the first principle? The first principle here, I think, is humility. It's humility, being humble before the Lord. You know, sometimes the Lord allows things to go in our life. We go, Lord, I, I don't deserve this. You've ever prayed that before? Lord, I don't deserve this. We deserve everything we get, believe me. The, the bad things, right? It's God's grace that we don't get. It's God's mercy we don't get what we deserve, and it's God's grace that we get what we don't deserve. And so humility is such an important principle. So we see humility here. In Psalm 54, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Humility, brokenness, contriteness. Philippians, Paul writes this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even the death of the cross. So, humility, right? Jesus exampled it. We're to live it. Jacob basically says, I I left Canaan with nothing, and Lord, you've blessed me with all that I have now. And what's the next principle? It's thanksgiving. So important to be thankful in our lives. Paul wrote this to the Philippians also. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be thankful for what the Lord's blessed you with. And then in verse 11, he says, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me uh, the mother with, and the mother with the children. What's the next principle? The principle is honesty. Just being honest with the Lord. You know, just admit, be, be, just confess where you're at. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm having trouble believing you. I, my faith is weak, Lord. Lord, I'm angry. You know, it's okay to be honest with the Lord. He wants honesty. In fact, Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Lord is seeking those that are just honest with him because he knows your heart anyways. We don't have to manipulate God. We don't have to play games with him. He knows your heart. And then in verse 12, he says, For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What's the last principle in this prayer? The last principle here is it's in harmony with God's word. It's in harmony with God's word. Now listen, did the Lord need to be reminded of what he had promised Jacob? Absolutely not. No, Jacob needed to be reminded of the Lord's promise to him. And so Jacob's basically just saying, hey, Lord, you promised this. And it's more for Jacob than for the Lord. And you know what the Bible says? When we pray in accordance with God's word and his will, it says here, John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Man, if you're abiding in Christ, you know, if you have a relationship with him, you're abiding in him, and his word is abiding in you. Now, how does his word abide in you? You have to read it. You have to take it in. You have to meditate on it. You have to to grow and, and spend time in the Lord's word. But if his word abides in us, our desires are going to be his desires. And we're going to be praying according to his will. And he says, if we pray according to his will, man, it's going to be done for us. If, if, if we're praying, if his word's in us, what our desire is, it's going to be his desire. Because our hearts are in tune with the Lord. And, and his, the answer is going to be yes. So I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you've got a family member. And, uh, you know, they're not saved. And you're praying for them. You know the word says that God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance? That's God's will for your family member. So you're praying in accordance to God's will and according to its will, word. <clears throat> Excuse me, what do you think the answer is going to be? It's going to be yes. It's going to be yes. So don't give up praying. My wife prayed for 20 years for her sister. 20 years. And at the end of 20 years, praise God, she accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a long time to pray, but she was persevering in her prayer. So don't give up. The answer is yes, but you've got to just hang in there and pray. Don't grow faint. Don't grow weary. Do you want spiritual growth and maturity in your life? Man, the Lord wants that too. The Bible says the Lord wants us all to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
Man, God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. And so he'll answer that prayer. Maybe you want patience. That's a dangerous one to pray for, right? Lord, give me patience. You know, God wants us to be patient. But you know what? I got to tell you, he may answer your prayer in a way that's a little different than you expect. You pray for patience, and uh, he'll give you someone in your life that's going to test your patience. Man, he's going to put you in situations where your patience is going to be, you're going to be, oh, but, you know, he's like, well, you prayed for patience. Now I'm going to teach you how to be patient. He knows the best way to accomplish that prayer and to answer that prayer. And so he may answer your prayer. He will answer your prayer, but he may not answer it the way you expect him to answer it. You know, give me patience. Make everything be nice for me. Well, that's not how it works, you know. I want to encourage you. This is why I highly, and I've mentioned this before, but this is why I highly recommend um, praying your way through your devotions. Praying according to God's word. You know, as you're reading the word of God and the Lord's spirit starts speaking to your heart in the word, pause at that point. Don't wait. Don't wait till, I'm going to wait till an hour later or a half hour or 15 minutes or whenever I get done. Stop right where you're at right there and pray. Just respond to the Lord. Respond to the Holy Spirit. And then after you pray, then resume reading again. That's how you're going to grow in your relationship with the Lord. I encourage you to do that. So verse 13 So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. Then he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And, commanded, and he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Uh, whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, these, uh, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. What's taking place here? Jacob has prayed to the Lord for deliverance, but now Jacob is kind of being Jacob at his Jacobist, okay? Jacob's being Jacob at his Jacobists, you know, and, and it just hits his character. Now, it's easy to judge Jacob and go, man, I can't believe. He just prayed for deliverance, and now he's trying to manipulate his brother Esau again. But before we judge Jacob for acting according to his old nature, what about us? What about me? I mean, I do that a lot of times. That old nature comes up, you know? And so Jacob's here, he's, he's coming up with a plan. You know, how can I appease Esau? So he sends these successive droves of animals as gifts ahead of himself to Esau. He's trying to pacify him before he meets him. Now, Jacob's a wealthy man. Understand this. Just if you went through the list of all the animals, that's 580 animals. That is, he's given his gifts. He's a wealthy, wealthy person. Verse 22. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. 
He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Now, if you picture the scene here in your mind, it's nighttime, right? Now, it's not, you know, like here, you go out at night and you get the street lights, you can't see much. But, but he's out there and the stars, I mean, there's no street lights, right? So the stars are just, and I'm imagining that God, for that particular night, caused no clouds to be in the sky. And I'll explain why in a moment. But he sends his loved ones over across and the servants and the animals over the side of the brook Jabbok. And so in my mind, I, I, I'm just picturing, I, you know what? I bet you all he can hear is the sound of the rushing water. He's not hearing the animals. He's not hearing the, the, the kids crying or the noise of the, of the group at the camp or anything. It's just him and the water. And he looks up and all he's alone under the night sky. And again, I think my mind, God probably didn't allow a cloud in the sky. Why? Because remember when Abraham... He was one time out alone on a cloudless night, and the Lord took him outside or said, Hey, Abraham, look up into the sky. He says, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to and number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. That was the promise that Abraham received from God that came to Isaac, that's now the promise to Jacob. And so Jacob here, he's got this sign of this promise, these stars all above him. And here he comes out at night and he's freaked out because he's worried that Esau is going to kill him and kill his kids and his family and wipe him out. And here's the sign of God's promise right above his head. I, I can just imagine God would have done that. Verse 30, uh, 24, excuse me. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life was preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. You know what's interesting in that passage of scripture? Jacob didn't wrestle with the man. The man wrestled with Jacob. And he wrestled with Jacob all night until daybreak. Any of you guys wrestlers? Have any of you guys wrestled in high school or college or anything? Is there any wrestlers here? I thought you were raising your hand. I wasn't a wrestler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I haven't wrestled either. But I can imagine, you know, it's, it's probably tough enough to do something for maybe a half hour or an hour. Can you imagine wrestling? All night, struggling all night. That had to have been tough. Who's this man that wrestled with Jacob? It's none other than a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Christophany is what it's known as. Why do I say that? First of all, later on, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So he recognized that that man was God, which is, he's like, why, is your, why do you ask my name? God's like, why do you even ask my name? It's like, you should know it, right? But he knew it was God. But is it God the Father, or God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Who is it? Well, John 1.18 tells us, no one 
No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So I honestly believe with all my heart that this is Jesus, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And, and Jesus is wrestling with Jacob there. It says, when the man, we know who it is now, when the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and it was dislocated. So yeah, you've been wrestling all night. Man, you're exhausted. You're, you're fighting and, and it's just, it's continuing. And now he touches your hip and now... I've, I've had dislocated toes before, and I tell you, those are just excruciatingly painful. Can you imagine wrestling with a dislocated hip? Now, it may have appeared from the story as we read it here that Jacob was prevailing. But listen, in reality, it wasn't even an, an even match. The Lord could have ended it at any time. What's taking place here is he is exhausting Jacob of any strength and any effort that Jacob has. Because that's Jacob's character. He's a self-made man. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make things happen. And, and God's saying, okay, try it now. And he's going to wrestle. He wants Jacob to be completely exhausted, completely, completely broken of all his strength, of all his effort, and finally dislocating his hip. And Jacob, man, he's strong-willed. He's a, he must have been a strong-willed child because, man, he is persistent. He's not going to let go, and he's hanging on for dear life all through the night. And finally, the man, which we know now is the Lord, says, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, when you read this, it sounds like Jacob's got Jesus in a half Nelson or a full Nelson, right? It's like, let me go, let me go. I'm not going to let you go until you... No, no. Hosea gives us a clearer picture. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, it says, and he's speaking of Jacob, he says, He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. Jacob didn't have the upper hand. Jacob is weeping. He's the, the sweat, the tears. He's in, he's, in, he's in terrible pain, and he's just clinging on to the Lord. Lord, bless me, bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's what's taking place here. He's clinging to the Lord for dear life. Jacob is at his end. He has no more tricks, no more schemes up his sleeve. There's no more plans for how he can extricate himself. In tears, in sweat, and in, in exhaustion, he's crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, bless me, bless me. And the Lord says at that point, what's your name? Jesus knew what his name was, right? Why did he say, what's your name? In other words, Jacob, confess who you are. And so Jacob says, Jacob. His name means heel catcher, supplanter, it could be interpreted in our language as being a con artist, a manipulator, a self-made man. And so the Lord says, hey, who are you? Man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a manipulator, Lord. I'm a con artist. And the Lord says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. He's no longer the heel catcher. He's no longer the supplanter, the con artist, the manipulator. He's now Israel. The name Israel is a compound of two words, Sarah, meaning fight, struggle, or rule, and El, meaning God. Some take the name Israel to mean he who struggles with God or he who rules with God. But in Hebrew names, sometimes God is not the object of the verb but the subject. Like, for example, Daniel means God judges, not he judges God. 
So this principle shows us Israel means God rules. I usually just say led by God, but God rules. Jacob went from being a self-made man, a manipulator, to a man now who's ruled by God. And that's what it took for Jacob to get to that point. It didn't happen until Jacob finally surrendered himself completely to the Lord. You know what we call this? We call this being broken. We call this being completely surrendered to the Lord. Now, I'm not a horse guy, but I've seen a lot of Western TV shows. You know, they get the wild horse. They bring it in the corral, and the horse is going all over and stuff. What do they have to do before they can ride the horse or use it? Man, they have to, they have to break the horse so that it's broken of its wild nature, and then finally they can put a saddle on it, and they can use it and stuff. And that's what God does with us. That's what he did with Jacob. He broke Jacob, not in an evil way, not in a way to harm Jacob, but in a way to where Jacob finally says, Lord, I surrender. I can't do anything. The Lord says, that's exactly where I want you. It's exactly where I want you, completely surrendered. And now let me show my power in you. See, if you're at the end of yourself this morning, I have good news for you. If you're a note taker, write this down, memorize it. Get this word in you. You can even write it in your neighbor's Bible if your neighbor has a Bible next to you. Just write it somewhere. Get a tattoo. No, I'm kidding. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Man, if you're broken here this morning, man, the Lord's near. He's near you. He's not far off from here. He's here to save you. He's here to reshape you into the man or the woman that he created you to be. Now, at the end of the service, which will be coming up shortly, there's going to be people coming up front here, and they're going to be here to pray for you. If you have a specific prayer, they're here to pray for you. And and so I want to encourage you, you know, allow the Holy Spirit, if he's speaking to you this morning, respond to him. And so we'll give you that opportunity a little bit later. And so Jacob here he left. Now that the sun's come up, and, and he's, he's finally broken, he's finally surrendered, and he's got a limp. And I think God gave him that limp as a total a reminder of his total dependence on the Lord. Because Jacob's like me, I'm like Jacob, you know, walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit. But how easy it is it to walk, start walking in the flesh again, to start walking in your old nature again. And Jacob's got a reminder, man, I'm, I'm totally dependent on you, Lord God. Totally. So let's get to the rest of the story, chapter 33. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously, graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants came near, they and their children, and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children, and they bowed down. Afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near, and they bowed down. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. 
If I have now found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand. Inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I had seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. I mean, can you just sense that relief in Jacob's heart? Man, he's not going to kill me. He's not going to kill me. He says, please take my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds which are nursing with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Please let my Lord go on ahead before this before his servant. I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, Now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot. But himself, uh, excuse me, and Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, but built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkot. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from from Padanaram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it Elo Elohe Israel, which means the mighty God of Israel. Now, just a side note, because I like to tie up loose ends when I read stuff. It's like Jacob, you know, he said he was going to go to Seir, and then we don't read of him going to Seir, right? Instead, he goes to Sukkot, and uh, does that mean that he changed his mind and went to Sukkot? Or does it mean that he's lying to his brother Esau and he never really intended to go? Scripture doesn't tell us. But what we do find out a little bit later, in a couple chapters from now, when Isaac, their father, dies, both Jacob and Esau are gathered, they gather together to bury their father. So this is what I think. This is my opinion. Jacob did stop there at Seor before going to Sukkot. But the Holy Spirit chose not to reveal that to us um, because the story follows Jacob. It doesn't follow Esau. That's just kind of like a side thing. He went there, you know, he visited his brother, and then he went on. But here's what happens to Jacob, because Jacob's the central point of the story in this place. I, why do I bring that up? Not just because I have an inquiring mind and I like to tie up loose ends, which I do. I'm like, I wonder why that's in there like that. But because this story, I think, was written for you and for I. The Bible says, upon whom the end of the ages have come. And you know, it's really easy sometimes to read passages like this and get off on these little rabbit trails. I wonder why he did that. I wonder why that, you know, why, why that name? And, and we can turn this into an academic exercise, reading scripture. It's easy to do. Don't let this be an academic exercise this morning. You know, it's no coincidence you're here this morning. God arranges divine appointments in our lives all the time. And I believe the Lord really honestly is speaking to people here in this audience today. I really do believe that. And if that's you, if the Lord's speaking to you, as we respond, because I'm going to bring the worship team over. In fact, you guys can come up right now if you want. The worship team can come on up. But as we respond, we're going to do some more worship songs. I want you just to come before the Lord yourself. 
and respond to him as he's spoken to you. Just be humble. Be humble before the Lord. Be honest. Lord, I'm struggling in this place. Or I'm angry. Or I don't trust you. Or whatever, wherever it is. Be honest with the Lord. And then finally, man, be broken before the Lord. Because that's what he desires. And if you'll be broken this morning, he's here, he's near to save you and to deliver you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this teaching this morning. Lord, I thank you for the, the example that we see in Jacob. And Lord, I know that so often we, we struggle. Lord, our old nature comes back. Lord, we want to fight. We want to we manipulate things. We feel like we have to make things happen. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful picture of Jacob just finally just letting go and finally just allowing you to rule him. Lord God, I pray that that would be the case for each one of us, Lord, that we would surrender this morning and allow you to rule us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
flesh is strong and our spirits weak. From our sins we turn and seek you. The only one who can see us through till the end. Till the Sing. 